Good morning. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service. I'm Pastor Stephen, the teaching pastor, the teaching elder of Calvary Baptist Church in Phillipsburg, Kansas. We are a Reformed Confessional Baptist Church. Uh, We believe that the 1689 Confession, uh, Baptist Confession, is a uh, perfect summary of what we believe the Bible teaches on important doctrines. Uh, We uh, adhere to the Scripture. We believe the Scripture is the uh, inerrant, infallible, final authoritative Word of God. Um, uh, Men should obey Scripture and teach Scripture uh, as a fundamental uh, teaching in the home, in church, in life, society, wherever. Um, So we are grateful that you are participating in this ministry. And we hope that the teaching and preaching of our church blesses you and your family. During the 11 o'clock services, we are going through 1 Peter. Uh, We are in currently 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Last week, we addressed uh, wives of non-believing husbands in verses 1 through 6. And now, uh, we will address the husbands of non-believing wives in verse 7, the scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Out of all the relationships that humans find themselves in, Uh, you will either be the one in the superior position of the relationship, the one in the inferior position of the relationship, or uh, rare, but it happens, you will be in a position of equal standing. Uh, In each of these relationships, whether you're the superior, the inferior, or even if the relationship is equal standing, there is a duty... And a right. A duty and a right. Those who are in the inferior or the superior position each have a duty or a series of duties or a right or a series of rights. For the past several weeks, we have studied the duties and the rights of Christian citizens in their relationship with the government, Christian slaves in their relationship with masters. And last week, we talked about the duties and the rights of Christian wives in a relationship with their unbelieving husband. What is the duty of the one in the inferior position? According to Scripture, the duty is to submit to the one who is in the superior position. That means Christians... We submit to the government because the government is in a superior position. Christian slaves, uh, we submit to our masters because we are in the inferior position. They are in the superior position. And Christian wives, uh, they submit to their husbands. That is their duty. Up until today, Paul hasn't addressed the duties of the one in the superior position. For instance, he doesn't say a word about the government's duties in 
chapter 2, verse 13. He just says the rights. The, the government has a right to be submitted to. And then in chapter 2, verse 18, he doesn't say anything about the master's duties. He just says the rights. The master has the right to exercise authority. He uh, has a right to be submitted to. But today, um, the Apostle Peter does address the duties of the Christian husband. Just because the Christian husband is in a superior position inside the home, he still, and he has a right, his rights is that his rights are that the wife must submit to him. He still has a duty. He still has a duty. And the duty is that he is to live with his wife in an understanding way. His duty is to show honor to his wife, who is the weaker vessel, the inferior vessel. And the reason why is so that his prayers would not be hindered and because his wife is a co-heir with him in the grace of life. A question that is often asked, uh, I've been asked this question several times, is why, why does Peter spend more time addressing the duties of the Christian wife instead of the Christian husband? You know, six verses Peter devotes to the Christian wife. But in verse 7, just one verse. What gives? Well, first, what more needs to be said than what Peter just said? Peter tells husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way, to show honor to them so that um, their prayers would not be hindered, so there's motivation to do it. And because that they're co-heirs with them in the grace of life, there is a stipulation what more does Peter need to say other than these words, right? I mean, I'm serious. If this was all that Scripture said about husbands and wives, what's missing? What did Peter leave out? Nothing. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Show honor to them so that your prayers won't be hindered. And we'll get to what all that means in a moment. The second reason why Peter doesn't devote more time to the husbands here is because his focus isn't on the superior. His focus is actually on the inferior position. Um, so the important question is, why does Peter devote more time to the person occupying the inferior position? That's the question. Why does he, in verse 13, have more to say about Christian citizens instead of the government? Why, in verse 18, does he have more to say to the Christian slave instead of the master? And why, in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3, does Peter have more to say to the Christian wives than he does to the husband? That's the question. And the answer to that question is because the inferior position serves as a function 
or an example of the church. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 1, Peter writes this letter. The original audience is the persecuted church. They are the elect exiles in the dispersion. They are Christians who are in the inferior position. The Romans are the superiors. They're suffering. The Christians are suffering at the hands of the Romans. They have been scattered from their homes. So addressing the inferior is actually the theme of the letter. In fact, it's the entire context of the letter. The church occupies the inferior position while in the world. And and guys, we, we have to get this down. We don't have any worldly privilege here. If you're, if you're waiting around for the government to uh, treat the church in a righteous manner, when the government is being occupied by unrighteous people, ain't going to happen. The reason why Peter addresses more or devotes more time to the one in the inferior position is because it's the context of the letter. And so Christian slaves, Christian wives, um, the Christian citizens, they, they serve as a function of the church at large. And that's why Peter devotes more time to the one in inferior position because the context of the letter is to the person who is vulnerable. So what does Peter say to Christian husbands? And the uh, small chance that Peter takes, you know, the whole letter addressing the superior position, here he goes out of the norm. He addresses the superior position. What does he say to Christian husbands? He says... Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The use of the term likewise, beginning in verse 7, has caused a lot of confusion over the past 10 years or so. A very small number of Bible scholars believe that Peter uh, uses the term likewise uh, because he wants husbands to submit to their wives like wives submit to their husbands. Uh, Egalitarians. Uh, Egalitarian comes from the Latin word equal. Uh, Those who believe that men and women are equal in the home. Men and women are equal inside the church. Uh, they believe that husbands should submit to wives in the same way as wives submit to the husbands. And to be honest, I completely reject that interpretation. First, because it doesn't even make sense. The person in the superior position does not submit. That's the whole point of being in a superior position. You're not the one doing the submitting. An employer never submits to an employee. The teacher never submits to the student. 
The husband never submits to the wife. Why? Because the husband is in a superior position in the home. And so saying that Peter is telling husbands to submit to wives like the wives submit to husbands, that even makes sense. And secondly, nowhere in Scripture is the husband commanded to submit to his wife. In fact, every single time in Scripture where it talks about a husband's relationship with his wife, he's always in the superior position, and the wife is always being commanded to submit to him. Here in 1 Peter chapter 3, um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, in each of those instances, the husband's in a superior position and the woman is commanded to submit to him. Not once is a husband commanded to submit to his wives, to his wife. Therefore, Peter's use of the term likewise in verse 7 doesn't mean husbands submit to your wives. What he means is that in the same way that a wife has duties that she needs to perform in the marriage covenant, the husband has certain duties, certain responsibilities as well. So likewise, husbands, you have responsibilities as well. What is our responsibility? For the husbands that are listening to me, this sermon, what is your responsibilities as the head of your marriage, as the head of your household. First, you are to live with your wife in an understanding way. And the reason why Peter addresses the Christian husband to live with his wife in an understanding way because he's addressing Christian husbands who are married to non-Christian wives. Well, how do we know that from the text? Because Peter uses a different word for wife in verse 7 than he does in verse 1. In verse 1, the scripture, the term for wife is a Christian wife. But in verse 7, it's a totally different word. And it's a word that's used in the New Testament for an unbelieving wife. And so Peter is addressing Christian husbands who are married to non-believing wives. And so these are husbands who just came to faith. They're new Christians. They're new believers. And these husbands are wondering, okay, Peter, now what do we do? We married non-Christian women. We came to faith during the marriage. They're still not saved. What do we do? Do we divorce them? Do we put them out of the house? And Peter says, no. Live with them in an understanding way. The Greco-Roman culture of the first century would insist that the husband divorce his wife. If she didn't adopt his religion, if, if the husband could not persuade her to adopt his religion, the husband was then persuaded to marry another woman who was a member of his religion and to bring her into his home. And so now he's dwelling with multiple wives. 
And what is a man going to do now that he's married to multiple women, but only one of those women really practices his religion? He's going to oppress the other one. He's going to oppress the first wife. And so Peter is telling the husband, instead of putting her out of the house, instead of divorcing her, he's instructing the husband to practice patience and fidelity. That's what he's saying. The word for understanding that Peter uses is the same word for firsthand knowledge. First-hand knowledge of what? Of being saved. Of knowing the truth. At one time, these husbands were like their wives. They knew what it was like to be an unbeliever. They knew what it was like to be a pagan. And so he's instructing the husbands to be understanding. She should find sympathy from her husband. The husband should consider his way of life before he became a Christian. And that should motivate him to live in an understanding way towards his unbelieving wife. Again, the natural response would be to find a wife who did share your religion. To put this wife aside. To bring in another woman. Force this one to leave. You know, if you're mean to her enough, she might just leave. But Peter says no. Live with her in an understanding way. You know firsthand of what she's experiencing. And so you should be understanding. Here's a question for you. Why would Peter instruct Christian husbands to live with their unbelieving wives in an understanding way, but he doesn't say that to Christian wives in verses 1 through 6. When he talks to the Christian wife in verses 1 through 6, he says nothing about her living with her unbelieving husband in an understanding way. Why? Because of social concerns. A believing wife who had an unbelieving husband would not warrant as much embarrassment as a believing husband with an unbelieving wife would. In fact, that's typical in society. Christian wives who are married to unbelieving husbands are more likely to go to church and receive sympathy from the church. Oh, you know, Betty, she must have it rough living with a non-believing husband. We should pray for her and, and help her and encourage her, right? A Christian woman who's married to a, a non-Christian husband, she receives sympathy and pity and mercy. But the believing husband who is married to an unbelieving wife, he's shamed. He's looked down on. Because, you know, he can't properly manage his household. Oh, Billy. Billy is married to a non-Christian. Apparently, he can't teach the Bible in his home. Apparently, he doesn't read the Bible with his wife or pray for her. He wouldn't receive sympathy, typically. 
That's why the Christian husband needs to live with his wife in an understanding way. Especially if she is an unbeliever. Because he would receive pressure. It would be an, almost like an embarrassment. He Again, he would be in, you know, almost insisted upon to get rid of his wife if she's not a Christian. Not only should the Christian husband live in an understanding way, but he should also show honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. Do you know what destroys a relationship? Contempt and ridicule. Nothing destroys a relationship more or quicker than contempt or ridicule. And and the opposite. We, we We can't truly love someone that we don't esteem. Love is is always connected to honor. If a husband fails to be sympathetic toward his wife and not willing to live with her in an understanding way, he's going to dishonor her. He's going to at least patronize her. He's going to have contempt. He's going to ridicule. And so Peter commands the husband, the Christian husband, that although your wife is an unbeliever, you still honor her. And we'll get to the reasons why he should honor her in a moment. But that's his duty to his wife, is to honor her, not to show contempt because she doesn't believe yet. He's not to ridicule her because she's not a believer but he is to show honor to her as to a weaker vessel. What does Peter mean by the weaker vessel? Well, that term vessel carries different meanings in the New Testament. It can refer to a kind of kitchen utensil, but I don't think that's how Peter's using that word here. Uh, The term vessel is also used to describe instruments for religious worship. For instance, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 21, the scripture refers to the objects in the tabernacle as vessels. Finally, the New Testament uses the term vessel to describe frail objects. Objects that are frail, easily broken, worn down, uh, fall apart, they're weak, they don't have strength, stamina. That these vessels, they need mercy. They need special care. Christians are called vessels of God's mercy. The Lord sees our frail condition and he has pity on us. I think that's how Peter is using that word here. The wife is called a weaker vessel is because she is frail compared to her husband. And there's no shame in that. She's weaker compared to him. But weak doesn't mean worse, and that's why there's no shame in it. Weak doesn't mean worse, just like stronger doesn't mean better. It means men and women are suited for different things. Being strong or being weak does not um, 
correlate to how, how much worth you have. Feminism teaches that. That's why feminism teaches, you know, that uh, we need to destroy those terms like strong and weak because they do refer to a person's worth, but they don't. Peter is not saying the woman is a weaker vessel because she's not as worthy as her husband. He's actually doing the opposite. He's elevating her worth, saying, you need to take care of her. She's worth care. She's worth mercy. You you got some skin in this game here, bud. She should not be disparaged. But because she is delicate, because she is frail, frail, she needs your special care. I, I firmly believe that men should protect women and children. A husband should protect his wife at all costs, even at the cost of his own life. This is one of the reasons why I believe women should not be permitted to serve in combat. I don't believe the Lord calls for women to lay down their lives for men. I believe it's the other way around. I think, I think and believe God calls men to lay down our lives for women. Why? Because they're the weaker vessel. Adam was the protector of Eve. Of all the creatures in the Garden of Eden, Eve was the main responsibility of Adam. And you can't convince me that's not true. And I think that was even obvious to Satan because of why he tempted her. Because she is the weaker vessel. What are our motivations for being sympathetic to our wives? Why why should we live with them in an understanding way and honor them? Peter says because they are co-heirs with us in the grace of life. I don't think Peter's talking about eternal life here because, you know, the wife is obviously an unbeliever. Maybe Peter's assuming the wife will eventually come to saving faith and that's the reason why she's a co-heir with him in the grace of life. But I don't think that's true. I I think the reason why Peter calls the woman a co-heir with us in the grace of life because of creation. He's referring to creation, the grace of life, God showing his grace to us by creating us. By creating man and woman in his image, in his likeness. Do you, know, do you want to know what a person thinks about God? Look how he treats his fellow man. Dead giveaway. A nation that hates God kills children. A nation that hates God affirms homosexual marriage and lifestyles. Abortion and homosexuality seek to destroy the human race. They threaten extinction. It's easy to see how abortion does that and homosexuality. The way we treat humans reveals a lot of what we think about God. And it's clear from Scripture that an attack against uh, a human is an assault against that human's creator. 
The scripture says in Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. James chapter 3, verse 1 instructs us to never curse those who are made in God's likeness. Humans, male and female, because they are created after the image and in the likeness of God, they are to receive honor, respect, and dignity. The husband who does not respect and honor his wife and live with her in an understanding way, that man is a monster. When a man marries a woman, they become one flesh. Not only are we closely related to uh, our wives through creation, we're also closely related to them through marriage. We are united together to one body. What man doesn't love and cherish his own body? We all do. A husband cannot seriously examine scripture and see what scripture teaches about marriage and not come away with, you know what, I think I better love my wife. I I think God commands me to love my wife, to protect her, to care for her, to provide for her, to lay down my life for her to respect and honor her. You cannot seriously examine marriage in the scripture and not walk away with that. Either that you can't read. Wives are co-heirs with us in the grace of life. They have the same maker. Disrespect, dishonor towards wives and a dishonor and a disrespect towards God who made them in that image, in his likeness. Peter also says we should love and honor, respect, live in an understanding way with our wives because of our prayers. Do you want God to answer your prayers? Then love your wife. Do you prefer your prayers to be hindered, to go unanswered? Then don't love your wife. (laughs) You can't can't get any more basic than that. You don't need the Greek for this one. Why? What what does Peter mean by this? Well, first, a home filled with strife and contention is no place for prayer. A person's heart who has strife and contention isn't a heart ready for prayer. It's not a heart prepared to pray. Have you noticed that the Bible teaches that a person's temperament during prayer is calm and steady? Peaceful, don't be anxious for anything, but by prayer and supplication, meaning as an ancient heart is, is contrary to a one that pray that prays. That's the posture of prayer, steady, calm, peace. In order to pray, a man needs to have his emotions bridled. Prayer should be like an asylum for us. So domestic quarrels hinder a man's prayer life. It hinders it. Secondly, God only hears the prayers of the righteous. A man who fails to love his wife isn't in good standing with her or God. 
God flat out refuses to answer the prayers of a husband who does not love his wife. I also think by talking, uh, by mentioning that our prayers would be hindered if we don't love our wives, uh, Peter is pointing out that the well-being of the household depends on the treatment of his wife. A house of prayer is a house of peace. Well-being, you know, it's an asylum. If, if there isn't prayer in the home, there's no well-being in the home. Prayer is closely related to well-being, to peace. After the fall of man, Eve struggled with submitting to Adam. Every wife since Eve has struggled to submit to their husband. Since the fall of man, Adam struggled to properly exercise dominion. And every husband since Adam has struggled to properly exercise dominion. These two sins, wives not submitting to their husbands, husbands not properly exercising authority in the home, they're the sins of our first parents. And these two sins have now been transferred to all of their offspring, including us. We must work hard at putting these sins to death. We must work hard. And a way to start wives to put to death the desire to rule over your husband is by voluntarily submitting to them. That's step one. I, I voluntarily submit to my husband. I recognize his authority. I respect his authority inside the home. And I will be obedient to my husband's authority as far as he instructs me in the Lord. And husbands, we master the failure of uh, of exercising dominion, we overturn that by dwelling with our wives in an understanding way, by showing honor to them. A woman can easily voluntarily submit to her husband, to a husband who's understanding and shows honor and shows respect and shows love. It's easy to submit to that man. And if your wife isn't submitting to you, then you're not exercising dominion, brother. You're failing. I, I pray that the last two weeks, our study of Christian wives and our study of Christian husbands uh, would be beneficial for you and your family. That tonight, you would sit down and you would you'd be a family of prayer tonight. That husbands you would seek the Lord and say, Lord, help me love my wife. Lord, that I desire to get all contempt, and ridicule, dishonor, you know, even if I've been harsh, Lord, I repent of those things tonight. And I, I want your help. I need your help. Um, to obey you, 
to love my wife. Lord, give me the discernment and the wisdom, the will to do that. And Christian wives, that you would pray with your husbands and, and you, would, you would ask the Lord to create in you a heart that is submissive, that you don't, you're not called to insist on your own way, that you trust that the Lord will guide and lead your husband and that he will, the Lord will give you discernment to follow, the will to follow, and that your, your marriage would have peace. There will be well-being in your household. 